0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church This teaching is from the series Jesus the King who came to die a study of the Gospel of Mark This dynamic fast-paced book gives the story of Jesus the Messiah God's Son the King who came to suffer and die to save his people We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today at, uh, we're going to be continuing looking at discipleship, and and kind of hearing the voice of the master. And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter one, verses sixteen to twenty. Before we dive in and read the text, I do want to mention two special things. Number one, I mentioned last week that we have the resource after hours. Uh, this Tuesday is going to be a special after hours. I'm going to do something a little bit different this particular Tuesday. I'm not going to say what it is, so it'll be a surprise. But there will be something uh, special on this Tuesday. It is related to the teaching, but it'll be a little bit different uh, after hours. And so that's this Tuesday. You can look for it on our website or um, uh, you can get it uh, via the podcast as well. Secondly, I want to highlight, many of you may not know, but each week we, we do have a blog that drops every Wednesday. Quite honestly, this started because if you want to get ranked well by Google, you have to have fresh uh, written content. You can't put PDFs out and all that kind of stuff. We discovered that a few years ago, and we've done it, and it works. And so I just put a blog out. I try to not have to put too much extra work. But what it's been about over the last number of months is how we got our Bible. So I've been going through the whole thing of what you, you can go back and look for months at inspiration, uh, what it means that the Bible is God's inspired word, why do we believe that, and then also how did they decide which books were actually part of the biblical canon. How did they decide what was in, what was not in? And then looking at, you may hear, you know, other people will say, well, what about the books that they didn't include? And there's a lot of misinformation out there about that. So every Wednesday, there's just a short little thing. You can read it in three or four minutes. But I'm kind of going through and uh, giving you a little little bit of free seminary class (laughs) on how you got the Bible that you have in your hand. It's a really important topic. So you can do that. With that, let's dive into the Word. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. Mark 1, 16 to 20. Uh, I'll be reading along up here, and you can follow along in your Bibles. Hear now the Word of our Master, our Sovereign, our King. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let's start with a little quiz here. I want somebody to, you're going to have a chance to shout out an answer. If I say the word scan, S-C-A-N, what does that word mean? The word scan. What? To look over, okay, to look over something. What's another meaning for the word scan? To make a, yes, an exact digital duplicate image. And Kelby said look over, but what's another nuance of how do I look over if I scan something? Not quickly or interestingly enough, carefully. And here's why I bring this up. Originally the word scan meant to read with complete detail, paying attention to everything. And then the word scan came to mean to look over quickly, the exact opposite of what it originally meant. Now it means to make an exact digital reproduction. So it's kind of almost gone around and if you look up in you know, dictionaries that kind of give you the etymology of words and stuff, they'll show you when each of those first occurrences happened. I bring this up because that's one word that over time went from meaning one thing to actually meaning almost exactly the opposite, from read very carefully to read quickly, uh, just kind of give it a glance. And the same thing can happen with any word. Words change their meaning over time. And I think the same thing may have happened with the word disciple. It's a very common word. Christians use the word all the time. But to quote the prophet from the princess bride, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Okay? It's got a a different... Uh, understanding in the New Testament, so what I want to talk about today, you know we looked at it last week and we discussed some of what disciple meant, but I want to talk about uh, a little bit more of what being a disciple looked like in the time of the New Testament and then what it would mean for us today. Now, I remind us as we as we dive in that Jesus here is giving this call out to the disciples and it 's a call to follow me. That the essence of discipleship is following after Jesus. You remember in verses 17 and 20, we'll throw up here on the screen, there are, there are three basic parts that we see duplicated twice. First with Simon and Andrew, and then second with James and John. And the three parts are a call from Jesus, come follow me. We're not told specifically what he said to James and John, but the implication seems to be it was the same thing. Secondly, they leave everything behind and then third they follow him so there's a call there's a leaving and there's a following now interestingly mark does not use the word disciple here but we specifically know this is four of the twelve disciples that jesus actually calls and it The term is used in other Gospels, and it's used most commonly in the Gospel of Mark. The most common term that's going to be used is not follow. It's going to be this word disciple. In fact, I mentioned last week it's going to be used 59 times in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to see in a a little bit. Sometimes it's not even translated disciple, but rather student. Uh, is actually another translation that's given. And we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the main word that Mark is going to use is disciple. But right here at the beginning, he's saying, hey, you need to understand the heart of a disciple is that you follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. But it's important for us that we have a full-orbed, proper understanding of what it means to be a disciple. The word has gotten all watered down and confused over many centuries. And Um, For some people today, it's become watered down in the sense that just, you know, I'm a cultural Christian, I'm born in America, and that that means I'm a disciple of Jesus. I guess all disciple means is somehow, if I have to check off on a box, I'm a Christian is what I am. For other people, trying to get out of that, a disciple has somehow come to mean super Christian. There's all the normal Christians, but I'm a disciple. I'm a super Christian. It's like a second level of Christian. The New Testament doesn't mean either one of those things. There's only one type of Christian, and they are all followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not actively pursuing him, then you're not actually a disciple because you're not actually a believer. And so we, as I said last week, I'm wanting us to think through, we're going to be kind of supplementing this term disciple with a couple of other terms uh, that help us capture the essence of what the New Testament means by disciple. And so last week I mentioned three terms, and they're kind of actually the uh, part of the title today, which is that we're disciples, which means we are followers, or a modern term is apprentices, that we are disciples, followers, and apprentices of the master. And so I want to talk briefly about what that means. What did it mean in the New Testament? Because, you know, there was a time if you used the word scan, everybody knew it meant read very carefully. And then there came to be a time where when you used the word scan, people thought it meant read real quickly. Well, when you use the word disciple at the time that Mark's writing his gospel, everybody understood what the word meant. And so we want to talk about what that is. And they even understood that there was a process that it involved. So what is that? First, disciples, followers, apprentices learn from the teaching of the master. So notice in verse 17, Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's telling, look, you already know how to fish for fish, but you don't know how to fish for people. But if you follow me, I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. And the first thing that a master did was he, they taught their disciples. They passed along information so that the disciples would be able to learn and know the truth. I'm actually right now um, reading uh, some Plato. I've been reading several of Plato's dialogues, hoping it will help me fall asleep at night. And, but Plato, actually, in the dialogues, he's passing on the lessons from his teacher Socrates. Socrates. Actually, you know, we don't have a word that Socrates wrote. All we have is actually what Plato, the disciple of Socrates, wrote that Socrates said, you know, in his apology, and I just finished the dialogue with Crato, And so all of these are things where Socrates was teaching his disciples and they were learning from him. So this isn't something unique to Jesus. Uh, It was practiced all over the ancient world because to learn something, including a new skill, requires we have to learn new information. Even if it's a physical thing I'm learning, I have to learn certain pieces of information like don't put the screwdriver there or you might shock yourself to death, okay? That would be bad, okay? There's new information to be taught. And in Jewish context, this centered on the master teaching his disciples how to understand the Torah. How were we to read God's word and understand it and apply it? And what this was referred to within Jewish circles was you were taking the master's yoke. Okay? So in another case, Jesus in Matthew 11 says this, Come to me. Notice how it's very similar. Come follow me. Okay? Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So notice here we got kind of the come to me because you're wearied and burdened I'll give you rest. Is the same thing as take my yoke upon you and learn from me because see I'm gentle and that's how you're going to find rest. And then again at the end he says for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now you know, yokes are something you put on like a team of oxen, right? But Jesus is not saying literally put, I'm going to, I'm wearing a yoke and you get in here with it. And let's be clear, he's also not saying, you know, you put a yoke on oxen because the two of them pull together. You and I don't get to pull with Jesus, okay? That, that wouldn't work. He's much stronger. He's saying you're taking my yoke, which means you are learning from me, I have information that you need to know and understand. And my yoke is not hard. It's easy. In fact, you know, if you think about the yoke of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what did Jesus say about it? It's hard. You put burdens on people, and then you won't even lift a finger to help them. Okay? But Jesus is saying, no, that's not the way my yoke is. My yoke actually relieves your burden. It removes it from you. So the first thing is the disciples, followers, apprentices of Jesus learn from him. And we do that by being immersed in the word of God, especially as it's interpreted by Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament. Because remember what a Jewish rabbi did is he said, I'm going to teach you how to read Torah. Jesus is saying, come to me, take my yoke upon you. I'm going to teach you the actual right meaning. It doesn't matter what Hillel said or, Shammai said or I'm the one that wrote it. I'm going to tell you how to understand the Word of God. So one cannot be a disciple, follower, or apprentice of Jesus apart from regularly hearing, reading, studying, and meditating upon the Word of God. If we don't immerse ourselves in the Word, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. It is simply not possible. So that's the first point. Number two, however, is it's much more than just learning information. The second thing is that disciples, followers, apprentices, they learn from the character of the master. The character of the master. Notice what Jesus says. He didn't say, come hear my teachings. He said, come do what? Follow me. You're actually going to walk with me him. And he does it three times, you know, and they followed him. And we're told in verse 20, they followed him. This is not a picture that, listen, every once in a while, I'm going to swing through on a teaching tour. And I want you guys to make sure you show up at the synagogue and I will teach. That's not what Jesus is inviting them to. It's no, you're going to get up and you're actually going to walk around and travel around with me because what you need is more than information. You are a student, but you're more than a student. You're a particular type of student. You are actually going to be my followers. And what you're ultimately going to do is not try and just gather factual information or knowledge. You're really trying to become like the master, okay? Now, this is a place where we can see in Luke chapter 6, Luke has a saying, and you can see it. Mark's actually got the same saying. But Luke's got it a little bit more succinctly here. It says, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. The word student is the word disciple, mathetes. It's the same word as disciple that's used all over the place. Because a disciple is a learner. But notice here what the student's doing. He's a student, but he's not just gathering information. What's the goal? To be like the master. He didn't say a student who's fully trained will know everything the master knows. That's not the goal. The goal is when you've been trained, yes, you do know what the master knows, but you're like the master. The master's character becomes your character. You become like the teacher. And this is why we will see as Jesus goes through the Gospels, there's a lot of conflicts that he has with false teachers. And sometimes he's correcting and saying what you're teaching is wrong. But just as often, Jesus is not critiquing what they say, but what they are like, who they are what their character is. So for example, we're going to come later on in Mark's gospel where Jesus is going to give this rebuke. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. Not because of what they're teaching. Notice what he critiques. They walk around in flowing robes and to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses uh, and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. What's he critiquing? Their character, their behavior. They love to exalt themselves. They like to be the center of attention. They want to collect followers around them. Uh, They always want the best seat in the synagogue, in the place of honor, because they really care what other people think about them. But at the same time, they'll turn around and they'll snatch the house right out from under a widow's feet. But then they'll go to the street corner and they'll make these really flowery prayers. See, Jesus is saying, you got to watch out for them, because if you follow them, you will become like them. Okay? That is an issue that is going on here. So he's not criticizing their words, but their actions and character. And this is why, if you actually look at the list of qualifications for being an elder in the New Testament, what dominates the list? Is it information and knowledge, or is it character? It's overwhelmingly character. That It's amazing. The New Testament doesn't actually give us a ton of information on the structure and the form of church government. It's way more concerned about the people who are in that structure than the specific structure. Give me a bad structure that has good people in it over a good structure with bad people in it any day, because the bad person's going to corrupt it. That doesn't mean that we don't want to care about the structure. We do. But no, it's so important. So just as a little free tidbit here, always, always, always be careful of the character of those who you listen to. You are getting more than information. Make no mistake about it. In fact, and I, I mean, I will put the, the thing on me right now you be careful and watch my life and the life of all the other men that we have come up here and preach because you will become not just what you hear, you will become what the leaders that you put yourselves under are like. It always happens. It's inevitable. If you think about it, you know, parents see this, right? Do my kids just pick up the things that I tell them? Oh, see, this was my my grief as a dad. It's like, you know, I've got these good character traits. Why are you like so sticky with the bad ones? (laughs) Why is it they stick to you like Velcro, right? Because they pick up who we are. It's the nature. So disciples and followers and apprentices of Jesus learn not only his words, but his character. And what that means for us today, because obviously we're not walking around with Jesus here in the flesh, but it means that the Holy Spirit is going to be revealing sin, And he's going to be rooting sin out. It's not possible for me to say, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower, I'm an apprentice, but no, I don't want the Spirit to be revealing and rooting sin out of my life. That's an impossible posture, okay? It does not work that way. The the whole point of discipleship here is that we become like the Master. Third point, it goes even further than just observing and learning from his character, disciples, followers, and apprentices learn from the practices and life rhythms of the master. Okay, This is yet another step. So again, remember, Jesus told them, come follow me, and this meant they literally went where he went. When he moved, they moved. When he stopped, they stopped. And they are observing. They're not merely hearing the masters, but they're following and living with them. So they're observing, not just, they're not just hearing what they say, nor are they just observing their character. They're actually watching the practices and life rhythms that formed the character that is in line with the words. And We often don't think about that here, but it is so important. The disciples observed Jesus day and night, and they saw the practices and the rhythm of life that shaped who he was. The kind of things that I'm talking about, it means they noticed as they're going with Jesus, when does he work and when does he rest? How much does he work and how much does he rest? When does he feast and when does he fast? How does he practice Sabbath? How does that work into his life? How often does he go to synagogue? What does he do when he is in synagogue? How often does he worship? How often does he pray? What happens when people are crowding around him? We're going to see this next week or two. And they're all clamoring, and they are trying to give Jesus their agenda. And if you've read the Gospels, you already know, what's Jesus off doing? Arising early before it's daybreak and going off by himself. See, it's not just, Jesus doesn't tell them there, here's a life lesson for you, learn from the master. They learn simply by observing. Hmm. I keep noticing we're always looking around for him and he's always off praying somewhere. They're learning from his actual practice and his life rhythm. And this is essential because the goal is to imitate the master until the disciple becomes like the master. See, this is the process how his character gets in. If you want to learn from a master, whether it's a physical thing or a mental thing or whatever, you have to imitate the master. And so this word is used a number of times in the New Testament. I don't I have them all here. But Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, therefore I urge you to imitate me. Now, Paul here is not saying you know, that everybody's got to be just like me, but what he's saying is, is, look, I'm walking behind Jesus. I've learned the rhythm in the life of Jesus, so I'm telling you, mimic me. In 1 Thessalonians 1.6, he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So you are imitating me, you are mimicking me, and you're doing that in a way that you're uh, uh, imitating the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 6, a different author comes and says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. See? They went through struggles, just like you're going through struggles, just like Sharon said she felt like the Lord was speaking today. How do I respond when it seems like God's word is not coming to fruit in my life? He says, here's what you do. You imitate other people who have stood the test of time. You go through and you do that. So this is more than learn information from me. It is a call to mimic the teacher and others as they are mimicking Jesus. That's literally what's going on. And so it's like, how do our kids learn from us when they're really young? They try to imitate us, right? I mean, if you've ever, if you're a dad and you've had a son and they watch you shave, what do they want to do? Right? They, they go in there and they practice doing it. I, I remember once when I was young, my mom came out and found me trying to work on a little toy tractor and I was banging it and shouting out certain things. I was mimicking my father. One of the few times that mimicking my dad, because my dad's a very good man, one of the few times that mimicking him did not work out so well. Okay? But is that not what we do? Kids mimic mom and dad. Why are they doing that? Because, see, the mimicking, the practice starts shaping me until I pick the skill up But it is then shaping and forming my character. So to mimic means to learn to think like the master, to have my character shaped to be like the master. But it's also that I'm doing that by mimicking the practices. See, I can't just mimic a character trait, you mimic a practice that builds. character trait. See, if I wanted to be a great NFL quarterback, it's not enough to say I'm just going to jump in the game and try and throw the ball down the field. I've got to actually mimic and say, well, what do you do all week long to get into that place? There are practices that get you there. And that's the same thing of what it means that we we mimic these things from uh, the rhythm of our master. Now, this is important for us because, see, in our culture, we downplay rituals. We downplay practices and life rhythms, but make no mistake, they form your soul. They do. See, here's the reality. Is it possible that tomorrow I might open my Bible and read and it not be the greatest time in the history of the church? Is that possible? Do do you all ever have the experience that you open your Bible and the angels don't come in, start singing the hallelujah chorus as you do it. You read it, and it's like, well, that was a quiet time. Right? I know y'all have it. Don't get religious on me, okay? I'm not the only guy in here that has those. But you know what? It doesn't matter. The very practice is shaping me. And the more I do it, It's the opportunity that maybe the angels are singing the hallelujah chorus. And then there's the day that I really do sense God speaking to me. So we need to learn the rhythm. We need to learn the practices. Don't listen to our culture. Our culture is wrong. Practices and rhythm shape you. We are all being, we all have liturgy. The mall is fantastic at it. Amazon is a master. They shape you and I with practices. Well, we want, be, we want to be shaped by Jesus and his practices. So I encourage you as you read the gospel, look for that. So if we want to be disciples, we have to do the same practices and life rhythms as we see in Jesus' life the word, prayer, Sabbath. Gathering each week with God's people, all these kind of things that we'll see unfold as we go through the gospel. Final area, and then we'll go to applying the word. Disciples, followers, apprentices learn from the master in community. So all the things I've said are not really about individual, they're in community. Notice this, in verses 18 and 20, at once, they left their nets upon him Without delay, he called them, and they left their father's deputy. Y'all work with me. They, them, they, there. Despite the fact of what we're trying to do to the English language in our culture right now, somebody tell me, are those singular or plural? They're plural. Okay? They are plural, and they actually are in Greek. If you notice, Jesus called two brothers, and then he called two more brothers. Uh, together. This is a subtle way right here at the beginning that he's teaching us uh, something. And it is always the pattern in the Gospels. Discipleship is a community affair, not a private one. I encourage you, I was actually listening and uh, to a guy that was preaching through this, his name's John Mark Comer, and he actually mentioned, he said there are none I'm not 100% certain that there's none, but I challenge you, how many one-on-one interactions do you see with Jesus and one follower? They're virtually non-existent. If there are any, they are very rare. It was almost always at least two. He sent them out two by two. Here he's calling them two by two. It's almost always a community affair. And if there is a one-on-one it's the exception that proves the rule. Think about that very seriously. It's an amazing thing. So notice here, we are disciples, plural. We are followers and we are apprentices. Those S's on the end of those words are absolutely essential. The plural is essential. Now this is important because We have a culture of hyper-individualism, and so many Christians who want to be a disciple, want to be a follower, want to be an apprentice, but it's a me and Jesus mentality that is utterly foreign to the concept of discipleship in the New Testament. There was no, hey, Jesus, this is such a good deal. You'll take me on, and I get 100% of your time. Yeah, it doesn't work that way never has worked that way in fact if you want to be my disciple you will come be part of the community because see a big part of what I am doing is see I don't like it Jesus I'm a zealot and Matthew's a tax collector he's working for the enemy yeah that's precisely why I called you into this community because what you really need is the person you don't like more than the person you do that's why y'all all need me right so God brings these people into our lives. And it's see, it's got, there's a lot of y'all that I love just hanging out with. It is, it's easy. But there's also folks that God brings into our life that are part of the community, and that may be the actual area where he's shaping us. We're not just looking for people who are exactly like us. One of the things I love in our congregation is we don't all like and do the exact same things. And that is okay. What we do like is, Is Jesus that's what matters the rest of it is secondary and so we have to get away from the idea of hyper individualism that is not there in the New Testament so the only way to be a disciple follower apprentice of Jesus is to be an active vibrant part of a local church of disciples followers apprentices discipleship does not happen apart from community it just simply does not happen apart from community. It never was meant to happen. And if, if you struggle with that, I encourage you, just take time and scan through quickly one of the Gospels and count up how many times is it interactions with community and how many times is it interactions with the individual. I'm, you're going to find out real quick. It is, if it's not 100%, it's about as close as it can get. It's community. So how do we apply this? Well, there's a you know, really just a question here, and we'll come to the Lord's table. Do I have a full orbed understanding of what it means to be disciples, followers, apprentices of Jesus? So it's not about being a cultural Christian, nor is it a super Christian. This isn't, wow, someday I'll get to what what we just went through. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is this is the only kind of follower that there is in the New Testament. So in the New Testament. Disciples, followers, and apprentices of Jesus, they do these four things here that we're talking about. They, number one, they learn from the teaching of the master. Number two, they learn from the character of the master. Number three, they learn from the practices and life rhythms of the master. And number four, they learn from the master in community. So here's what we're going to practice before we come to the Lord's table, what we're asking the Lord to speak to us this morning. Look at those four. I don't care who you are as a disciple or apprentice. You may be very far along in your apprenticeship, but what I can guarantee you is there's one of these areas where I'm weaker than others. There's one of these areas that the master is wanting to speak to me and saying, this is the area where I want you to grow. See, if you look at, I remember years ago, you know, being a baseball fan, and Cal Ripken, fairly late in his career, won the MVP because he'd gone back and sat down with the batting. This was a guy that everybody knew was going to be in the Hall of Fame, but he sat back and had a coach. They broke down his entire way of batting at the plate, and he led the American League that year, I think. He suddenly had this fantastic year because he'd gone back and changed. Uh, I'm reading a book right now, one of my favorite uh, drummers from one of my favorite bands, Neil Peart from Rush. The man was considered one of the greatest drummers that had ever lived, and he kept going back and taking drum lessons because he said, "Yeah, I bang things with sticks. That's what I do for a living." It's like everybody else thinks you're like the greatest thing ever, but he had a he had a thing. I have to learn. I have to grow. So no matter where you are, which of these is the master speaking to you and me? Is it that uh, you know the teaching, the character, the practices and rhythms, or the community? So when I consider this. The, the question we can ask, is my mind more shaped by the world or by the master? So this is a constant temptation for you and I because we, we hear the world without even trying. I'm going to click on the news and we need to. We need to be aware of what's going on. We're going to hear that information. Is it more shaped by that or by the master? For some of us, we've got lots of Bible knowledge, But maybe the Spirit is speaking and saying, but what about the character? The goal is not to know what the Master knows. It's to be like the Master. And maybe there's one area where the Master is speaking right now to some of us and saying, you're not like me in this. Or it may be, (laughs) it may be the daily, weekly practices and rhythms. Do mine look like Jesus? Or do I find myself, when I get so busy and so wrapped around, I I don't have time to go off and pray in the morning? Well, maybe the Lord's speaking and saying, that's the exact rhythm and life practice I'm trying to build into you. Okay? Maybe it's Sabbath. We're going to see a lot of stories where Jesus has conflict over Sabbath. Do my daily, weekly practices and rhythms look like those of Jesus? And the last one, maybe it's, am I an active, vibrant part of the local church? Lo- you know, our saying around here, we have the, the four things that we sometimes put up, love, connect, serve, reach. That we love God in corporate worship, that we connect with one another and build community and relationship, that we are serving God's people, and that we are outreaching the world. That's what it looks like to be a disciple in action. That's what we're going. And it is part of a team effort. Am I connected in and doing that or am I trying to do it on my own? Because we can't do it. So I want us to let the Lord reveal to us and we're going to come to the table and we're going to take a moment again to let the Holy Spirit reveal to us. But ask which area. And this is not a condemnation thing because how many of us have one of these areas? Right? We, we all do. I mean, in fact, we all need to grow in all four of these, right? I mean, I've been 44 years I've been a disciple. I assure you, I'm still in school, I'm still learning. But maybe there's one that the Lord is specifically speaking and working. And what we're going to do is, this is not about condemnation, this is encouragement because here's the good thing. The master says, if you're needing, to use my analogy a minute ago, if you're needing to work on your batting stance, I'm the ultimate batting coach. If what you're needing to do is work on your fielding, I'm the ultimate fielding coach. Whatever area it is, the Lord is gracious and kind. And as you hear again what the Lord spoke through Sharon and again with Greg in the psalm. Friends, we, we could never ascend the hill of the Lord. But in Jesus, we get to. And, and make no mistake, we are here because the Lord has called us. He loves us. He is pleased with us. We are his people. We are in covenant with him. When I pour this cup out representing the blood of Christ... That is the depth of his commitment to us. The master will not abandon us. Are are we unfaithful disciples? Yes, we are. But the good news is we have a faithful master who will not send us away. So we're going to come and do that and let the Lord speak. So this morning, our invitation is the scripture I read just a couple of moments. ago: come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whatever area the Lord is speaking to you, receive it, not as a burden, as a light, easy yoke that's going to give rest to your soul. For I receive from the Lord what I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ, you are welcome to this table. The Lord speaks and says to you, as a believer, come. Wherever you are weary, come. Take my yoke, and it's going to give you rest. Let's go ahead and get ready to take the bread. And as you do so, let the Lord reveal to you the area that his yoke is going to give you freedom. Lord Jesus, You are our master, and we are your disciples. Because we had failed and wandered from the path of truth and life, you came as the second Adam, teaching us the truth, fulfilling our call, obeying in our place, and bearing our penalty. So as your followers, we come to this table giving you thanks for your redeeming life and death in our place. Thanks be to God for the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord Jesus, you are our master, and we are your disciples. But unlike other masters, you did not wait for us to get qualified and to come to you. You sought us out. You called out to us, come, follow me. And because we are so prone to wander, you have made an everlasting covenant with us, sealing it with your own blood, securing our place as your people forever. As your people, we come to this table We take this cup, and we give you thanks for the blood of the covenant, which has secured for us all the blessings of our God. Thanks be to God for the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. Fellow disciples, followers, apprentices, let's stand together, and we will cry out to the Lord together. Lord Jesus, you are our master and we are your disciples. And as your disciples, your followers, your apprentices, we humbly ask you, teach us this week. Lord, open your word to us so that we might hear your voice and we might learn the truth. By your Spirit, form and fashion us into your likeness. Help us to walk with you so closely that we are no longer conformed to the pattern of this world, but rather conform to you in your pattern, in your practices, in your rhythm. Lord, we cry out, and ask that you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we cry out and ask that you would fill each family with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we cry out and we ask that you would fill this church with your Holy Spirit. Oh, Holy God, Father... Son and Spirit, we love you, and we want to please you. We want to follow you all our days. So, Lord, hear our prayer. And, O oh Lord, work these things in us for your glory and our good. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our Master, Savior and Lord. And if you agree, amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory both now and forever. Go forth filled with the blessings of being His disciple and be a blessing. In Jesus' name. Look forward to seeing everybody later this week. God bless.